Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to learn about commercial property investing and be part of our real estate family. We get the best people in the industry to give you straightforward and practical advice that you can actually use in your investing. In today's episode, we are continuing our conversation with Mindy McLean, a Texas attorney and co-owner of a law firm who also co-owns a real estate investment company. We are learning what are the major problems that she has seen on a title commitment. Here we go. Let's move on to the fun part, I think, Tell us some of the biggest issues that you have found in a title report before. I have had some big messes of, I don't, I don't even know how to describe how messed up a property can be. <laughs> you would, you would think at least in Texas, title insurance is pretty standard. It's, it's rare if you have a client that's like, no, I don't want title insurance. I don't want to pay for it. You know, I don't. And that happens. It, it can be expensive because ours is based on the sales price of the property. And it's a set premium. It's set by the state. The companies don't have any room to negotiate that price for you. So if it's a big enough deal, the title insurance can be an expensive cost, but all the more reason to do it. But sometimes you can have a small deal and you're not your client's only going to spend $10,000, dollars $30,000, whatever it is. And they're kind of like, oh, I don't know. I just, I want to close on it. And I don't really want to get title insurance. But sometimes those are the worst. You know, they just, the smaller the deal. It's like, it's too good to be true because it is, it's too good to be true. But, um, so I've had a few deals where uh, things just, you know, especially if you're buying something from maybe a family could be residential or commercial, but it's just been in a family for a long time. And so they've just, they've just operated, you know, as if they've owned it since 1890. And then they decide somebody down the road decides they want to sell it. Most of the problems that you see there are with, um, you've had people that have died in the chain of title and nothing's been done. Like there hasn't been a probate of their estate. There hasn't been an affidavit of heirship. So you're just, you're trying to build a family tree and it has 80 branches and you're like, they died and then they died and they had six kids and they had 12 kids and there's a step kid. And, and so I've had a lot of them that are especially, like I said, small deals, but we had to just go and find all these heirs that were lost. And there's really nothing you can do. I mean, you're kind of stuck. You can't, you can't just say, Oh, forget Joe Bob, you know, he, he doesn't matter. He's probably in Alaska. We don't want to find him. No, you have to find Joe Bob. You have, you really need him unless you just want to risk it and, you know, later file a lawsuit and try to clean it up down the road. But so I've done a lot of that. I feel like a, like I put on my PI hat and I'm a private investigator. I'm Angela Lansbury and I'm trying to find lost heirs and I'm driving around all over Texas, you know, meeting people at their farms or wherever they want to meet to say, Hey, did you know that you have a one sixty fourth interest in this property? And would you mind <laughs> signing this deed? So those can be wrecks, but it can usually be worked out. 
Um, another issue that I've seen more frequently is that same kind of issue. It's like a family and several people have died and we're dealing with heirs and we find that one of the heirs is a minor, meaning they're under the age of 18, but they've come into title on a property in Texas. You can get around that, but you, you have to get a court order allowing a parent to sell that property on behalf of the minor. And then that minor's, the proceeds from the sale have to go into the court registry. And then it sits there until they turn 18. And then they can go and cash out their inheritance. But that happens if someone dies and their heir just happens to be, you know, seven or years old or 14 years old, they still are an owner of that property, but legally they don't have capacity to own property or to sell property. And so you have to involve a parent or a guardian. And so I've had to do that a couple of times over the last year. Um, probably the some of the worst things I've seen are just, again, people buying property and maybe not fully reviewing everything that's in Schedule B and then finding out that either there's a restriction on their property that they didn't know about. The title company is not going to necessarily tell you, hey, by the way, you can't use this, you know, property that looks like a retail store, it actually, you can't use it for retail. They're just going to note in their commitment that there's a, you know, a restriction or a deed or subject to whatever was in this document. And so if you go back and read it and you bought a property and you wanted to use it for, I don't know, a funeral home, and then you later found out that there's actually a restriction on that property that says it can't be a funeral home or a tattoo parlor or whatever it is that you wanted it to be, then you can have a problem because the purpose that you wanted that property for, you cannot do it legally because there's a restriction. And that that wouldn't be a covered claim if that restriction was set out. It was an exception to your policy. So those kinds of things. Also leases, like I said, kind of get some people we'll see that there's a memorandum of a lease recorded and they won't really dig into what the lease actually says and ask the seller, you know, can I, can I see that lease ahead of time? And maybe the tenant either had an option to purchase a property or a right of first refusal or something like that. And they come back later and say, actually, you, you know, didn't have a right to buy this. I had a right to buy it. So they try to undo the sale. Um, and then in Texas, I think I mentioned in the beginning, there's just been, at least where I live, it's a little bit more rural and a lot more agricultural driven. And so people are kind of getting savvy to all the ways that you can generate income from rural properties. And so that includes not just oil and gas leases and mineral production, but also solar farms, wind farms, um, all types of alternative energies. And so that's still kind of being developed under Texas law, what that means for the surface owner versus the mineral owner versus somebody who has a right to wind or other energy production. But that could really, that could really be something that's huge in the future. If you bought a property subject to some prior reservations of wind or solar or mineral or water even. I'm sure that's for you guys in California, that's a huge deal. 
is water and it is here too. So when people carve off all of those different aspects of a property and they try to keep them. And so you may think you're buying an entire property, but you're buying land that has no water, no wind rights, no solar rights, and no mineral rights. That could really devalue your ability to develop that property in the future. So those are some of the bigger issues that I've seen um, over the years. Just I don't know, lots and lots of stories. But if we can catch it ahead of time, we can usually either fix it or we know what we're getting into and we can renegotiate or even back out of a deal if it doesn't make sense. But if you get your title report or get your title commitment and you don't review it, really dig into it, you could end up with some surprises that you didn't see coming until later. So, Yeah, this reminds me, um, I had a property in contract a couple of years ago and there was a party wall agreement. The property shared one of the walls mm -hmm. with the neighboring property. And uh, this agreement was done in the early 1900s and the title company sent us a document that was not the actual agreement. So number one, they sent us the wrong document. And number two, it took them quite a few days to mm -hmm. find that agreement. What if they didn't find it? Does uh, such a thing happen? What if they didn't, they didn't put it in their title commitment at all? And then it came up later. What if they couldn't find the actual agreement? Oh, the actual agreement. They don't know. The title company doesn't always have the complete agreement. You know, back in the, if you look back in old records, there's all kinds of things that are recorded and that are publicly available that you would never record now. Like people's personal information and, you know, complete lease agreements that are 10 or 20 or 50 pages long. That's not really standard practice anymore. Most people want to keep things private. So most likely in, if you're recording something now, an agreement like what you're talking about or a lease or something, you're just going to record a memorandum that says, X party and Y party signed an agreement on this day and it affects this property and it describes the property and it may give a few details about the agreement, but it's not going to be the complete agreement. And so you're actually going to have to go hunt it down. The title company may just drop that into their exceptions that the memorandum of lease and any lease associated with that or the the party agreement memorandum and any agreement that goes along with that are not are not included in your title insurance coverage. And so if that were the case and you made a claim later, somebody made a claim against you and you tried to make a claim on your title insurance, they could just deny coverage and tell you it's not a covered event. Or if they didn't, if it was out there and they didn't catch it, you know, then they might have to actually cover your claim and either you know pay your damages or represent you in the event you were trying to defend something but i mean it happens our the more we go digital with all of our records actually probably the easier it is to make mistakes because everything is still manually entered and keyed in and you have to use search terms and sometimes things misspelled and 
um, or weird spaces are put in and so something doesn't come up when you search. And my very first job out of law school was at a title company and we were a really small, just a one county, small little place on the town square. And our our system was not technology-driven whatsoever. So a realtor would come by and they would bring in a contract and we would enter it all in our system. And then we had these paper cards that we kept and you would go through the card system, kind of do a little search yourself. And then you would basically just take your notes and you would walk across the street to the courthouse and you would go through the books that were there. And they have a written grantor-grantee index, and that's how you would basically search, is you would just go through these books. And I, w- I would spend all day all, all at the courthouse just searching, going through books, pulling out documents, making copies, putting them back in the book. You know, you don't, I don't know how many times these documents have been copied, but and that's obviously not super efficient, and that's not the way that the future is going to look for us. It's going to be very computer-driven and everything's going to be online and you just enter a search. But again, mistakes happen when you have to manually enter things like that. And so I don't know. I don't know what that'll look like eventually, but maybe someday title insurance won't be needed. I don't know. But for now, I think you're just, you're in a better position to um, review everything that you get. A lot of times the title company, if they've, if this property has already changed hands before you, they may already have, a, a file on it and so they might just be bringing it forward and it doesn't take them much time the more transactions they do the more they can build those records and those files and so when you bring in a contract 10 years from now you know they've already looked at this property multiple times and they've got records on it and it makes it more efficient but they're not going to catch everything there are mistakes on all sides and that's just the nature of how many documents there are and you know, how voluminous it can be. I live in a relatively, like I said, rural area. And so I live in a city, but it's not anything like Houston, you know, or Harris County. So I can't imagine really trying to keep up with all those records, everything that gets recorded all the time. And now there's e-recording and there's still in-person recording. It's just, it's a lot. And so I think there's always going to be a chance for mistakes, but you do the best you can to review what's in front of you. If you see something, don't be afraid to ask about it or ask your closer, ask your um, your realtor, whoever you're, it is that you're dealing with. But there's somebody in the title company that built that title commitment for you. They've reviewed the records. They're, they work in abstracting. So don't be afraid to go back and ask you know, what about this? What is that? Why is that wrong? Like, like you mentioned at the start of the episode, we sometimes they just, even when they're reviewing everything and they're entering it so that they can give you a title commitment, they may miss key some numbers and letters and things. And so they might tell you it's volume one, page two, but that might not be right. And so that document may not even be what you really want to look at, <laughs> but so it's just having, like I said, put put on your investigator hat, do a little work yourself to to get everything reviewed until you feel comfortable that you understand what those documents are and how it affects your property. And I think you'll be better off for it. 
Wow, Mindy, thank you so much. This is so helpful, and I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate all of your answers. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Well, that was a lot. Like I said, I could talk title and real estate all day. Well, if you want to reach me, you can um, check out my law firm's website. It's rightlawtx.com. It's W-R-I-G-H-T-L-A-W-T-X.com. If anybody wants to email me or has questions or wants to, you know, just talk about real estate, anything, um, you can email me at Mindy, M-I-N-D-I, at rightlawtx.com. And as always, all of these links will be under show notes. Mindy, thank you again. I appreciate you taking the time and making a big bet on us for this being your first podcast interview. I look forward to having you here again soon. Thanks, Steph. I appreciate all of your episodes and the great people that you um, bring together to share their experiences and their experience in real estate. And I, I find it really useful. So thanks for taking the time to, to do this podcast. Make sure to sign up for our super straightforward newsletter on our website, montecarlorei.com. And I would like to thank one of our latest reviewers by JBR. This person was so sweet to take the time to write a, an awesome and long review, but the gist of it is that they were in residential and they started to listen to this podcast and learn all of the benefits of commercial investing and they are in contract right now for a self-storage facility which is super exciting and uh, I am so happy to hear that we were part of that journey with you Jesse and uh, I cannot wait to see where you guys take this facility and uh, too many more see you next time